0: Conversations with prominent pastors, teachers, and leaders. This is the Pastor Well Podcast from Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Now your host, Dr. Herschel York.
1: Hello and welcome to the Pastor Well Podcast. This is Herschel York, the Dean of the School of Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm also pastor of the Buckron Baptist Church in Frankfort. The Pastor Well Podcast is dedicated to helping those who serve the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ be faithful in ministry by engaging in conversation with people that we think can encourage us, teach us, instruct us. And today we are blessed to have a father and a son, Bryant and George Wright. Welcome to Pastor Well.
2: Glad to be with you today, Herschel. Uh, It's a privilege.
1: Well, uh, by way of introduction, just so folks know who you are. Uh, So Bryant Wright recently retired as the pastor of the Johnson Ferry Baptist Church uh, in the Atlanta area. That's
2: right. North Atlanta suburbs, Marietta.
1: And uh, George is pastor of the Shandon Baptist Church in Columbia. That's exactly South right. Carolina. And uh, you're the first father and son team I've had on here other than my own sons. Okay. So you're in good company.
0: There we go. Uh, welcome. Thank you for that.
1: Uh, Bryant uh, ha- has a bachelor's degree from the University of South Carolina, but also an honorary
2: doctorate from the University of South Carolina. That boggled my mind when they called to tell me that. Uh, you, just knowing a state university. Yeah,
1: preachers don't normally get honorary <laughs> doctorates from state universities.
2: I know, and I was very thankful that, that they did that.
1: When did that happen?
2: It happened when I was serving as convention president. As, as and president of the Southern Baptist Convention. I, I guess that, you know, at Carolina, they were looking for an opportunity to honor one of their alumni that had uh, been blessed in a special way. Unusual, though. That to is have a unusual. Southern Baptist pastor. That's right. And it was an interesting experience. Very thankful for that. Well, that, that's a, just a tremendous honor. He.
1: You earned your Master of Divinity at the Southern Baptist Theological <laughs> Seminary, right here at home, uh, and I am so glad for that. George couldn't pass uh, the Southern entrance exam. I mean, that's so. true. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> I say that in total jest. Uh, I am grateful for all of our Southern Baptist seminaries. We're, we're in, truly it is the envy of uh, the evangelical world. Our our uh, theological education. And Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary is where you graduated, and That's right. uh, what a what a great seminary! You did your bachelor's also at the University of South Carolina. That's exactly right. Okay, now you you uh, let me, I'm going to begin with you, okay, George, because I'm a PK as well as being the father of two PKs. So, what was it like? Your your dad's a great pastor, a great leader. Uh, what was it like growing up in
0: in his home? Well, I can honestly say he he's an even better father. And the reason why I can say that uh, with great conviction is because his faith really is what drives everything about who he is. And so the the man that people saw on Sunday, the the pastor that people interacted with, that's that's the man he is. And so our, our home was full of what I would say was a very authentic Christian faith with both my parents. And I'm so thankful for that. That, that was a true privilege to grow up in the middle of and to see that what he was talking about and preaching was what he was certainly living, and there was no disconnect at all between the pulpit and the house, and that's, that's really a gift. Amen. What a blessing.
1: At what age did you trust the
0: Lord? I was young uh, when I made that initial faith decision, uh-huh. uh, right around seven or eight, and was baptized by my dad, which was really a privilege. Uh, and then grew in my faith through a, a great student ministry at Johnson Ferry and involvement in young life ministry in high school. And so it was from an early age that my faith was was there. Um, I'm going to assume, I know your dad well enough to
1: believe that he didn't put pressure on you to be something just because you were the pastor's
0: son that's right but did other people did you ever feel it it, it certainly came up and those those conversations would be had time to time with a, a sunday school teacher or small group leader member of the church might say something and and honestly growing up i didn't have any interest not because of anything against my really? father uh, i just wanted to do my own thing and go my own direction. And I wanted to serve the Lord and love the Lord, but I did not think vocational ministry was where I would be. So at what age did that happen? It actually happened right as uh, I was graduating from college, University of South Carolina, and my wife and I had just gotten married right as I was finishing school and I was interviewing for jobs. I had a business degree from South Carolina, and my dad's dad, my grandfather, great man of God, great businessman, Christian businessman, and I really was wanting to follow his example. Um, But as I started to interview for jobs, there just became a, a season of unrest, is really what I would call it, where I was waking up in the middle of the night, cold sweats, and thinking, gosh, I'm not supposed to be a businessman. There's something else for me. And the Lord just began to make it really clear that he was calling me towards ministry.
1: How how did you as a dad view all this, shepherd him through it? Or was it hands off? <laughs> Were you involved well, in it?
2: I do feel like we probably went overboard in not encouraging our sons to go into ministry because I feel like the calling of God is so compelling that when God begins to call you a ministry, he's going to make that very clear. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't need to try to get in the way of that. I do think Ann and I were not surprised, though, with George because even as he was in the midst of the fun of college, fraternity life, different things like that at Carolina, uh, when we'd have phone calls about what was happening there at school, he would be telling us about somebody he'd share Christ with. And it was just like this was out of the overflow of the person that he is. I will say, Herschel, that when George went out to Southwestern to view the seminary, And we uh, took part in a chapel there. That was a very emotional time. I was just overcome with emotion. Even thinking about it now, just, you know, here's my son being called. That was really a, a, a really memorable, holy moment, I would call it, of just God moving to the next generation. I
1: think every man wants his son to be better than he is. Absolutely. <laughs>
2: well, I don't have to worry about that. I think that's <laughs> yeah, happening with George. Yeah. So no, I, there is no, a, no there's just a
1: joy in seeing <laughs> God's hand on them and use them. I know it, it thrills you to see him as a pastor now. Absolutely. And a, a husband and a father.
2: That's right. Great dad, great husband, and the church is really a great church. It, it's, and, and plus with George's heritage here at Carolina and connecting with the students, with the need there in that student body of having a strong Christian witness, it's just a tremendous opportunity. Very excited about that. Well, speaking
1: that. of church, tell me about your ministry at Johnson Ferry. How long were you there? Tell me we, about its beginning. It and-
2: 38 years, went there to be the founding pastor. We met in a, a doctor's office, an unleashed doctor's office for about a, a year, and then met in another uh, kind of an off business office park for a year and a third before we had our first facility. And Herschel, thank the Lord, he just blessed the church uh, throughout those years. Uh, it, you know, as I look back now, it's just a sense of thank, thankfulness, and that God has blessed so much. Uh, it just, he had his hand on the church from the beginning.
1: Yeah, that that it's an amazing story you were the only pastor they ever knew until right. until you about retired and transitioned yeah <laughs> that's right uh and the, it grew to what size
2: church is it now it's about seventy three, seventy four hundred 7400 members uh averaged in the 4000 right below 4000 in attendance and as a megachurch, didn't really have a large worship room. So we had two uh, venues, for con- one for contemporary worship, which is really basically a large two gyms, and the other for traditional worship in the sanctuary. And we were able to grow to six services and have three services where there's two simultaneous services going on gotcha. to maximize the use of the property. And you preached all of them? Preached three for many, many years. And uh, sometimes, uh, especially in the latter years, as I would let the teaching pastors preach more, really getting them ready to hear younger voices in the pulpit, it made it a little easier on the pace. But still, as you know, three times is so it's, it's exhausting.
1: Well, you know, I like two. I, like two. I, I only do I like one. two as well. I, I do one now that yeah. we've moved into a new building. But I, I enjoyed two. You can refine, you can change, you go, oh, that didn't work. That's right. (laughs) Leave out that illustration. Or that needs something else. It fell flat. You can make adjustments. By the third one, you're like, did I say that already? (laughs) That's right. You Uh, think
2: about uh, that, and you you also feel you're pushing through. You hope the congregation doesn't realize you're pushing through, but you sure feel that when you're preaching. Yeah,
1: third. Uh, I was in Korea one time. I preached five at one of those big Korean churches back to back to back to back. That's hard, man. I don't know how they do it. It's week in and week out. Well, when we added
2: uh, the venue with contemporary worship, we were looking to go into four services where I would be preaching four times. And as I called other pastors around the country that had done it, I got no encouragement whatsoever. And that is really where we began the video preaching, where the congregation would have me in person every other week and they would see it on video when I was not in that venue. And so the congregation felt like they they really are amazingly accepting of that because they knew they were going to see me live every other week, and they knew yeah. I was in the facility when I was not in the room with them. Yeah, uh, I think it's a
1: different thing when it, people have only the video experience. That's it's almost right. like you might as well stay home, I, That's I think. Right. I, but that, that would work, and you're still accessible.
2: That's right. I was and, in the facility,
1: and th- this is the only church that you ever pastored.
2: That's correct. I did have a, a seminary pastorate called Cove Hill Baptist, uh, about halfway between Louisville and Cincinnati, and we would literally just go up there on Sunday morning and come back Sunday night exhausted after a full day there. But that was really a one day a week kind of call, and we were—I uh, think we uh, made seventy-five dollars a week. It was, and that included the gas to get up there. <laughs> wow! Did oh, you yeah. say somebody eat with? we would always have dinner there were about 12 families that signed up to host the pastor and they would feed us well and then because it was a rural community and a lot of farmers take me out to see the crops a lot Mm -hmm. of small tobacco farmers i didn't really have a lot of interest in that to be honest i'm just i'm a city boy i like yeah a large city metropolitan life but it was education but you had an interest in them that's right i I wanted to be interested in what they were interested in. Uh,
1: that's what a pastor needs to do. That's right. That's being a shepherd. So George, how does your experience as a pastor compare with what you saw in your your dad's life?
0: Yeah, so there there are certainly some similarities and learned so much from his leadership and his example, but we do have some differences as well. So I I started my ministry coming out of seminary on his staff at Johnson Ferry and Served, in fact, as the first teaching pastor at at Johnson Ferry and was given the opportunity to preach and teach some and uh, was there for about two and a half years. And then we planted a church uh, that actually started as a campus of Johnson Ferry. And then I became the live preacher planter uh, of that campus. And we became a local autonomous church. And this was 2006 that I went out there and pastored that church for just over a decade in Northwest Atlanta before we transitioned to Shandon, which is a very established existing church, started in 1907. um, And I'm the, Fourth pastor in a hundred years That's at Shandon, which is just incredible, absolutely yeah. incredible. So, I've pastored two churches now. You feel Ryan. like you've got job security there? Well, I hope so. I <laughs> You'd hate said, to be the first I've one. I said that, on many occasions, <laughs> I do not want to break this streak. I, yeah. I'm grateful for what I've stepped into. And you're near the University of South Carolina campus. That's exactly right. And as a student at the University of South Carolina, Shandon is where I was in attendance in worship, and my wife and I actually got married at Shandon back in really? 2001. So we wow. have history with the church and it really is a privilege uh to be back as the pastor. Uh, what size church is it? Our membership at Shandon is just over 6,000 and our worship attendance hovers around twenty five hundred, three thousand, something like that.
1: Yeah, about how many college students you are you reaching?
0: On on a given week we'll have uh, somewhere around 500 college students that's amazing and it it is exciting i tell you when it's christmas break or summer break (laughs) uh, the energy is incredibly different when those college students are are back home but we love collegiate ministry and so grateful for what we're getting to experience and uh brian you
1: also served as you alluded to uh as president of the southern baptist convention Uh, that's one of those things a lot of Young preachers sort of aspire to, uh, but uh, when I talk to people who've done it, uh,
2: it's a lot of headache, isn't it? Well, it's a lot of work. You really have two full-time jobs. Yeah. Uh, it's one thing to pastor a mega church, but then to take on a second full-time job. Now, the second job, you don't get paid anything other than building up heavenly treasure, but you hope you're doing <laughs> a little good along the way. I will say this, Herschel, I was incredibly energized by it, to have that front row seat within our convention because i think i was something of an outsider in being elected as president of the convention i remember one of our deacons was on the plane coming home a week or two after i was elected he got to talking to a layman from alabama and they found out you know the churches they were in and he he said is that the church where the new uh convention presidents pastor and he said yeah he said who is that guy <laughs> you know, so I, I don't think i was really on the circuit or or that well known and i I, don't, I really don't think it would have happened if there hadn't been a lot of young pastors at that convention in Orlando uh, to really have the timing for that to occur. But it really was very energizing. I, I loved having that front row seat, loved preaching in the chapels, in the seminaries, some of our colleges, and just seeing what was happening around the world was very exciting. Uh,
1: I, not all of our listeners are Southern Baptists. Probably the majority are, but not all are. But make the case for why we need the southern baptist convention we're uh, so a lot of people don't get that southern baptist churches are completely autonomous uh we we voluntarily send money in we we voluntarily support these things and cooperate nobody requires this of us it's it's totally uh a cooperation uh, that each church wants to do you know each church owns its own property the denomination doesn't So why do we need a Southern Baptist Convention?
2: Well, I think from a kingdom perspective, we can do a lot more together in carrying out Christ's Great Commission. I think from an institutional standpoint, as the non-denominational churches have prospered and flourished over the last really 30 or 40 years in a dramatic way, there's a lack of institutional heritage that you miss out on Mm -hmm. when you're not having six seminaries to support, not having the ERLC that is really a spokesman of... Uh, for the convention on a lot of very important issues of our day. And not having an international mission board and a a North American mission board to support people that are sent out together. So I I just think there's a richness that comes from the voluntary fellowship that we're committed to. Now, I think the downside for Southern Baptists historically is we've been so focused on Southern Baptists to the neglect of a kingdom vision. And let's face it, our churches, our convention is worthless if it is not most of all about the kingdom of Christ, because that's really the focus he wants us to have. But very thankful that we can voluntarily serve together.
1: That's right. What What would you say, you know, to a young pastor who just feels like, you know, uh, I don't think the convention does anything for me or my church. Uh, I think we're just better off going it alone. What, what would you say to him?
2: Well, I— I felt that way really probably the first 10 to 15 years at John Superior because I was so focused on planning that church and getting the church underway, and it just seemed kind of irrelevant. But, but to begin to realize what we can do together, to begin to realize how important our seminaries are in training the future for the pulpits and the missionaries that we send out, I think it's an investment that is worth making. And I'm thankful for what we do, are able to do together.
1: Yeah, whenever there's a hurricane or some natural disaster and we see those Southern Baptist relief workers. That's incredible. Sin, sin
2: relief is is a wonderful aren't we uh,
1: all witness happy, for the gospel. Aren't we all happy that that's happening? <laughs> that's right. And as great a church as Johnson Ferry is or Shannon, the reality is you couldn't do that by yourself. No, that's it's right. Impossible. It's impossible. To we can do so yourself. much more. That's, uh, more. That, that, that's exactly right. George, as a young pastor, have you felt that? tension about whether or not to be engaged with the Southern
0: Baptist Convention or have you always been sold on it early on I did feel some of that tension and some of it was just frustration with the way some things were playing out uh, quite honestly personally but then also just looking at some of the things that were happening with dollars allocated and resources and as a young guy that's that's somewhat naive and you know kind of seeing things through rose-colored glasses you're going why are we spending all this money on that when we could be planting more churches and doing all these things but as I began to mature a little bit in my pastorate and just grow up a little bit more as a as a man, I was certainly able to see all that had been invested in me personally by the convention, growing up in an SBC church and benefiting from an SBC seminary, but then also realizing I do have a heart for church planting, I do have a heart for the nations, and if we're really going to be engaged and involved as a church plant and these things that we say we love and believe in... The only way we really can be engaged and involved is if we do it together, is if we do it with others. Because Literally. as a new church, we just didn't have the resources or the opportunity unless we joined together. You can't with what really have doing.
1: a truly global strategy. That's no exactly individual right. church can do it. That's it takes exactly right. An awful lot of us together. And, uh, you know, it's it, all, all the problems with being big are certainly there. You sure know, can you know. It, it, the machinery can get unwieldy, uh, You can mistakes can be made. Uh, dollars misappropriated, all that can happen, I'd still rather have it than not have it. You know, it's because we we can work to make it do what it needs to do. We can reallocate dollars. We can put in new personnel. Those things can happen. But if you give it away and lose it, it's gone.
2: That's right. And Herschel, you, you mentioned about the younger pastors. I think just being in the room and taking part allows you to have a voice because a a passion that we've had at John Safira's Global Missions, and there was such a disillusionment among many of our lay leaders at the high percentage of CP dollars that were staying in the state when there's just so many parts of the world where there's no Christian witness, no church, no ministry of any kind. and so. But being in the room, for some reason God and his sovereignty allowed me to be in that leadership role for a couple of years to really challenge churches and institutions in our convention let's be more generous about giving out more to take the gospel to those parts of the world where it's not known rather than keeping that at home where you have thousands of witness points not just with Southern Baptist churches but right. evangelical churches there was a lot of pushback on that and, and but it's still I feel I like the voice <laughs> needed to be shared about doing that but by being in the room, you at least have an opportunity to hopefully shape it in a good direction.
1: Influence it, don't withdraw from it. That's right. That's That's right. right. Uh, right. uh, Now that you've retired from being a senior pastor there at Johnson Ferry, tell me what your ministry plan is
2: now. What are you doing? Well, I told the folks at Johnson Ferry, I love Uh, mentoring young pastors. I have two groups of six young pastors now. I meet with them quarterly all day, and it has been a rich experience, Herschel. Uh, Some of the guys that you know well, that you've mentored yourself, have been in the groups, and I'm just very thankful for that. And I have a separate nonprofit Right From the Heart, where we do spots with the gospel, devotional-type spots on secular radio and TV. We don't do anything on Christian radio unless they want to run it free, but we're trying to t- speak to those folks outside the church, and it's always on the key stations for morning drive time and getting the good news out there. Plus, there are devotions on Right from the Heart's website every day or on Twitter, and I'll continue to do that. I've actually moved my office to the Right from the Heart headquarters. Small staff there, but it's a uh, location for ministry, and then I'm excited about other ministry opportunities that'll come up. want to continue to preach. One of the Concerns I had is God was clearly calling me to hand Johnson Ferry off to a younger pastor, no doubt, complete peace of mind about doing that. But I have a passion to preach the word and identify with Paul, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. So I'm just praying that those opportunities will continue in the days ahead, and serve in ministries as God calls in the days ahead. So
1: you retired from a particular ministry,
2: but you did not retire from ministry. I see it as a redeployment time, and I've been waiting on my next assignment as far as where that will be, if on a full-time basis.
1: Well, you're making a tremendous impact on uh, a a lot of young leaders that you're pouring into. Now, there's obviously no one that you poured into more than George, but both of you have been poured into by uh, your wife and your mother, Absolutely. Anne. Tell me, uh, let me have each of you tell me just what she's meant in your life and ministry.
2: Well, words are not adequate. Uh, Anne and I are a team, and I think uh, I think the best compliment that people have given Anne is that whenever people talk about Johnson Fury, I almost always hear them say Bryant and Anne, mm-hmm. not Bryant's ministry. Brian and Anna, because I think we really are a team and have been a team all through the years. And I appreciate the fact that she's seen her main calling in this role was to support me in ministry and being a good mom to George and our two other sons. And I think the long-term impact of the kingdom of what that, that has meant is something I'm eternally grateful for. Plus, she's a lot of fun, Herschel. And yeah, I, I I people. She is. She lights up a room, and does, and so people are naturally drawn to her.
1: I've I've got one of those. uh, (laughs) I know you do. (laughs) I'm
2: I'm very, very grateful.
1: Uh, George, tell me about your mom.
0: Well, I can speak really just uh, of their marriage, and my wife Megan and I have been married almost 19 years now, and the thing I've so appreciated about my mom and dad together is just the friendship that is so rich and so real between them and watching them take a weekly date every year for as long as I can remember and seeing them have fun like you were just talking about dad she she is a lot of fun and I'm just so grateful for that example and what a blessing it's been to us and she also was the mom who just would do anything for her boys as long as it was within the right uh, boundaries but I mean she just loved and served us in such a beautiful way encouraged us has just always been a voice of encouragement and just a, a true gift.
2: Add yeah. one yeah. quick thing on that. Yeah. Uh, she sought to get interested in things we were interested in, which often <laughs> yeah, SEC true. football, or which is really a harbor for her, I know. I mean, that's a harbor to really get into. But <laughs> George is passionate about hunting. And so all yes. our boys got interested in hunting. And it's interesting that Ann would go with us on these trips. And finally, she decided to participate so she has shot a deer rifle four times and nailed four bucks the best (laughs) shot in the family the biggest deer any of the whole family has ever gotten is and so that that says something about a mom that's willing to do things she doesn't have a natural interest in doing
1: yeah but she's got a natural interest in her her family that's That's right right. that's That's great uh so was there ever a time when you went through your teen years that like you, you you didn't Think she was worth listening to. I mean, did you go through yes. any of that kind of perspective? Yes. There, yes, there were a few of those days.
0: Yeah, I mean, mean yeah. of course, of course, that was there. Was but it? there, there, I do think there's always been a, a true respect for my folks, and yeah. yes, there was there was plenty of uh, healthy Christian rebellion as yeah. a preacher's kid. Oh, well, I mean, my, my uh, didn't take it too it. far, but yes, there was plenty of that pushing the line, and and I, I, I think it's it's natural, especially <laughs> in a young man. Sure, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. My Theory
1: is you always want your father to be your dad, but you want your mom to stop mothering you. <laughs> that's
0: true. Yeah, that, and, that's and
1: true. so my boys went through the thing where they would still listen to me, but like they just didn't
0: want to listen to their mom. Well, you know? and some of that is just the healthy fear of dad's voice <laughs> when that, he when right. he drops the hammer and uh, when it, when it's time for a message to be communicated. He yeah. gets it across. But, you know, as you get a little older, especially in those teen years, you think maybe maybe your voice is more powerful than mom's voice. And <laughs> you have to wrestle with that some. And uh, yeah. there's a good uh, humiliation that often comes when I have great uh, when sympathy that's going for, on.
2: From, for single moms when each of our boys hit middle school, because I, I could just tell they were not taking her discipline near as serious during those years. Yeah. And so the need right. for a dad during that time is huge. That's right. And – a reminder
1: that that's not just your mother, that's my wife. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are
0: boundaries. That's right.
1: Uh, well, tell me, George, about your preparation for preaching. What, what does it look like? How do you prepare for a Sunday sermon?
0: That's a great question. So I preach through series, and it, depending on the time of year and what we're walking through, it could be a book of the Bible or like it, right now what I'm walking through is a focus on missions, and so that's more mm-hmm. topic-driven. Uh, But it's expository preaching each and every Sunday, and so I line out that series in advance. Uh, Wednesday afternoon, I block off study time that is really my research time, and then Thursday, all day, I am just trying to knock out a a transcript, a manuscript that uh, I can then have some notes come out of for Sunday. So I, I take about a couple hours on Wednesday afternoon, and then all day Thursday, I don't do any appointments, and I'm just in the study preparing finalizing that sermon for the week, but then also preparing in advance for what's coming.
1: Right? do you miss the weekly grind of preparing a sermon, or is that something like uh, you're, you're glad the weekly grind of well, it? gone? Well, it's
2: been amazingly freeing not having that. Now, I'm, I'm still, you're still preaching.
1: Early. You're still early in the process. That,
2: that's right, and I, I'm, I'm still preaching, but the difference is going from 15 to 20 hours of preparation for a sermon you've never preached before to being able to use material in thirty eight years of preaching that calls for a few hours of review and preparation. So it's yeah. a very different experience. It is different. Yeah. Very different.
1: Uh you guys have a podcast. You have you have a we podcast? Do, yeah. Tell, you yeah. tell, you tell us, them about t- it, George? T- t- tell us about it.
0: Yes, it's the Right from the Heart Leadership Podcast. And it's it's been a lot of fun for us and we are looking at leadership just through the lens of of two generations perspective. And so I'm interviewing my dad just on some of his wisdom and leadership strategies and tactics and the things that he's utilized in his uh, tenure in ministry as a great leader. And it's just been a, a great time for us to share some ministry together, but have a dialogue that it's certainly beneficial to me personally. I hope it's beneficial to others as well, but just soaking up some of that wisdom and knowledge. How can
1: we find it? Where do we go?
0: It's the Right From the Heart Leadership Podcast, so you can get it wherever you get your podcasts, and you can also go to rightfromtheheart.org to to see more information about it.
1: Okay, Brian, one big question for you. In the last several years, we've heard... Awful stories of men in ministry failing due to a a, a moral shortcoming. Yeah. Uh, man, you've done it so well. You've been just an encouragement and an example to so many. Uh, what word can you give us? How can pastors finish faithfully? How can how can we be faithful and persevere?
2: Well, Herschel, when I was in my early thirties at Johnson Ferry, there were three pastors that I really looked up to that that were shipwrecked with moral failure, and if it just scared me to death because I know what a sinful heart I have and can fall into sin at any point. And at that point, I really just uh, set aside some time to develop a life purpose statement that I think is so important for young pastors to be clear on your life purpose. It guides you in what you're going to do and what things you don't need to do. But uh, as I share with the guys in my mentoring groups from the very first, it's about finishing strong. And so I get them to write out their obituary. I get them to write what they would like to have on their tombstone. And of course, they're a little curious about why we're doing that, but when you think about how you'd like to finish, then when you're tempted to compromise along the way, you're tempted to dabble over into that uh, porn on your phone or whatever it may be, you are always in the back of your mind thinking, you know, I don't want to be remembered for a headline in the local paper because of moral failure. I want to be remembered in the way that God desires for me to be remembered when it comes to a witness for Christ and being a pastor and a a ministry leader. So I think if you can have in mind how you want to end and how you want to finish, it helps you to make good decisions day by day when our tendency is to compromise, especially when we feel no one is looking.
1: Great word. All right. Uh, I'd like to conclude um, our time on Pastor Well with what I call the twinkling of an eye round just some random quick questions. Okay. Uh, and uh, you can just tell me what, what you think, if you think anything at all about it. All right. George, do you have a favorite secular author or book?
0: Yes, I, I love history. I love Ambrose, uh, David McCullough. I uh, really love uh, reading about the the Wild West, the Old West in the 1800s, mm-hmm. and uh, so have enjoyed some of those authors. How about you, Brian? We have very similar interests. Biographies and in history and
2: current events have been my favorite. Um, I think some of the biographies, like Robert Carroll's uh, Path to Power with the first volume of LBJ, yeah. it reads like a novel. Taylor Branch's uh, Parting the Waters on the Civil Rights Movement. It's one of my it's, favorite books all time. It's an incre- incredible, incre- it reads like a novel. That first is, chapter on Vernon
1: Johns uh, is awesome. amazing. That is yeah.
2: an awesome chapter. And then I love uh, the, the central volume of William Manchester's uh, Churchill on Alone. Yeah. When he was that, he right. was that lonely voice in the 30s being mocked as a warmonger by the Brits and all their arrogance and all their desire yeah. to appease evil, and yet, Man, did God yeah, use him here? in the 20th uh, century. Yeah. Those are tremendous biographies. So, to look those, at. those are. Uh, do you remember your first sermon? I do. Uh, it was uh, for a fellow seminary student here at Southern. And even though I had led a Young Life Club, because I really came to Christ uh, or really nailed down my commitment to Christ through Young Life in high school, so I led a Young Life Club in college. And But when I had that opportunity to preach in a pulpit for the first time, I think it was Possum Trot or Little Flock baptist church uh in southern indiana and when i got up to preach i had all these note cards in my bible and they fell out in the flowers uh on the <laughs> altar table and <laughs> and ann was sitting on the front row and she was uh wondering if i should if she trying should go to break, rescue that, you. That but you know i think it was a great blessing from the lord herschel because i thought well I've worked on this and went ahead and preached without notes and began to preach those 38 years without notes. Now, I would cheat in the margin and have a you know a little yeah. word or different things in the margin of the Bible to, or a little sticky note with some key quotes or things to remember. But that was a real blessing that came out of an awkward situation that happened <laughs> on that first time. That's sermon. great. George, do you have a sugar stick sermon? Gosh, you know, one of those that sugar you, you can pull out
1: at any moment and preach?
0: That's a great question. So uh, our mission statement at Shandon is that we live sent. And the way we describe that is we want to leverage who we are and what we've been given for the sake of the gospel, wherever we are and wherever God takes us. And so at any given moment, I think I could preach that message just on the calling of God for his people and his church to live the mission.
1: Great. Uh, uh, Do you Do you have a favorite preacher, other than your dad, who you
0: like to listen to? Absolutely not. Of course not. No, there's a lot of great preachers that I've learned from. I, I gosh, love Tim Keller and the way he divides the word. He's great. Uh, Love Matt Chandler, who's a peer, and grateful for the way he uh, lays out the scripture. Um, I guess that's what I'd say right now. Your favorite SEC school is... Well, we follow the Gamecocks, but you
2: know, it's, it's, a, it's a lesson in character, Herschel, because when you're a <laughs> University of South Carolina sports fan, we're the essence of mediocrity. Over a hundred right. years, and so it builds a lot of character and humility in following uh-huh. them. Now, in women's sports, we're really good, but we're hoping the men at some point in yeah. our history. Title Nine has uh, been your friend. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Right. It's the only way that's we right. can win. <laughs> hey, our girls might compete with
1: you guys at Kentucky. like. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Well, man, it's been a joy to have both of you on, Pastor. Well, thanks so much for being with me today. I well, um, appreciate it, uh, and thank you for being with us as well as you've tuned in today. I hope. That If you've not yet subscribed, you'll do so on YouTube or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you again next time on Pastor Well.